All right. So at the end of last week, Eric said that I was to uh, have you explain what you learned. So go ahead. Well. Okay. How about let's start. What are we talking about? What's our topic? Okay. Um, okay, I believe we're actually like, this is part nine. We've been doing this for like two months plus. Anyway, uh, tell me about Ruth and Boaz. Who's the other main character? Naomi. Naomi, okay. Um, how are they all related? Uh, Ruth marries Naomi's son. Okay. He died. And then Boaz is Ruth's husband's brother. Not Ruth's husband's brother. Yes, there you go. All right. Um, where was Ruth from? Yeah, winner. Good job. Um, okay. So there was a particular important term that got said a lot. Kinsman Redeemer. Yeah, so what's that? Kinsman Spell Redeemer. Is it E A? No. What does that mean? This is the the key term that you guys need to explain. Does that have something to do with Jesus? Does it? It does. But it's family. The family. Okay. We can put near, yeah. near kinsman redeemer. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, in the case of Ruth and Boaz, uh, Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer because the not the closest in Ruth's case, but essentially uh, married her. Decide, uh, said, you know, I'll take care of you. I'll continue your family line. Um, and so that was kind of the intent of that. But uh, how is Jesus our kinsman redeemer? Because he God is our father. Adopted father. Keep going. Okay. <clears throat> Saving us not from losing, not from losing our family line, but. What does he save us from? Sin. Okay. All right, so that's the redeemer part. We got the, he saves us from sin and he's our near kinsman because we're adopted into uh, God's family. How do we get this near part? Um, partially. This has to do with something specific though. You know, it, it, we're made in God's image, right? But that doesn't mean we're like God, necessarily, right? He, he's all-powerful, omnipotent, uh, all-knowing, and we're none of those things, right? 
we get this near part because Jesus became 100% what? Human. Human. And what? He was still God. 100% God. How's that work? We don't know. <clears throat> we don't know. All right? We're not meant to explain it or understand it. We're just told that. All right? So that's how we get the near part because Jesus, who is God, 100%, became human. All right? And so we have that adoption process. He becomes our near kinsman and our redeemer, and he saves us from sin. All right? And that's a pretty unique picture that we get from Ruth. I don't know if you guys passed. And to give you lots of hints. All right. So that's review. Let's keep asking questions. Uh, let's talk books of the Bible. Okay. What's the first one? Genesis. Oh, that was an easy question. What happens here? Give me like large scoping stories. Okay, creation. Okay, yep, fallen man, and then uh, you kind of get the Tower of Babel in there, right? Flood, yes, that is next. Okay, then... Speak louder. It's okay to be wrong. Well, Abraham's in there somewhere. Yes, Abraham. All right. Uh, Abraham and his son is Isaac. And Isaac's son is Jacob. And Jacob's son is which one? Which one? All right. Uh, well, um, plus twelve. We'll say. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but Joseph is kind of the main story that comes out of that. Um, and then we're gonna throw an oddball in here. Uh, Job. Okay. So Job is kind of a contemporary, post-flood, pre-Moses timeline. All right. So then Exodus. Kind of gave you that. Already. At the end of Genesis, there, uh, all of Jacob's family goes to live with Joseph in Egypt. Where do we pick up in Exodus? Yes, yes. <clears throat> all right, so we'll do Moses, and that'll kind of take up the entire book of Exodus. What does Exodus mean? What is that Latin word for? Is it like a journey or something? Leaving. Yeah, exit. <laughs> all right, so this is the story of them leaving Egypt, all right? Moses and leaving Egypt. Um, all right. What's Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? Uh, yeah, the law. So they call this the Mosaic Law. Mosaic meaning Moses. What? Mosaic meaning Moses. Oh, there it is. Not like the, the art style. 
Um, what's next? What's the next book? Joshua. Joshua. All right. Who's Joshua? He's Did he just fit the Battle of Jericho? Jericho thing. <laughs> All right. So uh, how does? So we were talking about Moses, and then how do we get to Joshua? Um, Joshua like takes over. Well, yeah, Moses. Moses, Moses dies, and land. correct. Okay. So Joshua leads them into Jericho. the Promised Land. Yeah. Right. Uh, and kind of as Jericho is the famous one, but Joshua spends a lot of his life kind of fighting battles, kicking out uh, the Canaanites, the other people who are living in the uh, the Promised Land. All right. So we'll just put fit. That'd be fun. And then fight. Uh, <laughs> what's the next book? Judges. Judges. Tell me about the judges. Gideon, mighty man of valor. Your namesake is? Well, essentially, he's one of the judges, all right? What, what's the cycle in the book of Judges? There's a cycle. What happens? All right, so Israel. Uh, let's just say falls. So they're doing good, they're believing in God, and then in a generation or two, they start worshiping Canaan gods, like Baal and uh, others. And so then, uh, they're invaded. All right, to punish them, God allows them to be invaded. Then he appoints a judge. Gideon is one of these judges. Who's some others? Samson. Samson is a judge. Deborah. Very good. Those are the pretty famous ones. All right. There's, I don't know. I couldn't tell you how many. But essentially, they all follow this cycle. All right. Uh, appointed judge. And then they find a battle. And then rule. All right. And it just goes through this cycle every single time. All right. It, it says a lot about human nature. All right. We're good for a generation or two. And then as soon as we decide to leave God out, trouble starts. All right? Uh, so that's Judges. We'll put the cycle. Okay? And in here is Ruth. All right? Ruth is a contemporary of the timeline of the Judges. Okay? Who's the last judge? The answer to this question is also the answer to what the next book is. What's the next book? Samuel. Samuel. Samuel's the last judge. Okay. So we're going to talk a little bit about Samuel today and then kind of speed through things. All right. Tell me about Samuel. What do you know? We'll put first and second here. There's two books. How did she do that? Like, we dedicate children here, right? Is it kind of like that, or is it a little more? 
Just give me some more details. Think. You know these stories. Yeah, it takes uh, takes him to the temple, um, and leaves him like he's five years old or something like that, and uh, he's raised by a, a priest named Eli. <laughs> um, Eli's a good guy, but Eli's sons are not good guys. All right, and uh, they kind of like desecrating the temple and doing things that they shouldn't. And Samuel's a big part of stopping that. All right. Because God, God won't talk to Eli or the sons of Eli, uh, but He will only talk to Samuel, this kid who you know wakes up in the middle of the night and hears God calling, but nobody's heard God's voice in a long time. So that's Samuel, all right. So he's the last judge of Israel. He grows up and he he rules for a while, but what happens is what? What ends the cycle of the judges? They want a king. All right, and God, why do they want a king? Let's start there. They want to be like the other nations. They want to be like the other nations. All right, that's probably not a good idea in general. <laughs> but God concedes. All right. So Samuel anoints who? Saul. Saul. All right. So we're going to talk about Saul for a little bit. Bonus points. What tribe is Saul from? All the kings in Israel are from what tribe? Correct. But this is a trick question. Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. All right. All of the kings after David are from the tribe of Judah. All right. Including Jesus. So. Saul becomes the first king of Israel. And at this point in history, uh, there's a lot of fighting going on uh, for the land, kind of like it was in Joshua's time. They didn't do a good job when Joshua took over the promised land, and so they're still plagued by that. All right, But now that there's a king, there's actually like an Israeli army, or Israelites army. All right, So it's kind of a centralized effort now. In the book of the Judges, they had the cycle. It was always like one, two, maybe three tribes who worked together uh, to get rid of the occupying force and up until uh, the end. But now that Israel is centralized with an army and a king, it's a little bit different. So after Saul has ruled for a while, uh, Samuel, our last judge, uh, he's the voice of God still, all right? He's a prophet, tells Saul to go fight the Amalekites, all right? And he tells the, uh, Saul to utterly destroy them. What do you think this means? Kill them all. Kill them all. Everything. Take nothing and leave nothing. All right? So, <clears throat> Saul goes and fights the Amalekites. Uh, instead of utterly destroying them, he spares the king's life and he brings him back alive. All right, uh, and the army takes animals and other spoils of war. All right, when they're obviously supposed to take nothing. So this makes God pretty angry. All right, because Saul has now directly disobeyed a commandment. 
And uh, essentially, Saul falls out of God's favor. Right? So God tells Samuel to anoint someone else. All right? So let's pick up reading. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And I think we all know who, but we're going to see who Samuel anoints. Let's start at Abby and go around 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting at verse 4. And stop when I tell you. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake, and he came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming, and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves, and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons, and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass, when they were come, and he looked on the Eliab, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his concubines, or on the height of his stature, because I have received him. For the Lord seeth not a man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And Jesse called him, Abinadab. 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 When Jesse had Shammah come to Samuel, the Lord has not chosen this one either, Samuel said. Again? Here at verse 10. Oh. Yeah, again? Jesse made seven, said unto Jesse, the Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, there remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till it come hither. And he sent and brought him, and he was ready and with all a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came up to David from that day forward. All right, so who's our guy? Who's the new king? David. David is our subject today, all right? Took a while getting there, but I think you guys hopefully remembered something or relearned, maybe. All right, uh, so David, after this, what do you think he does? Yep. You guys have talked about David recently, right? So David is anointed one uh-huh really yeah I trust me I looked at it like three times this morning um what does anointed mean just for helping us like think physically uh physically and spiritually I'm looking for both okay well they put the don't they like pour oil on your head mm-hmm mm-hmm <laughs> I'm looking for both. Who's got the other half? Yeah, we'll wait. We'll get to it later. Um, all right. So David goes back to keeping his sheep for a couple of years, but from that day forth, the Spirit of God is with him. Okay. Eventually. 
Well, essentially when this happens and the Spirit of God comes on David, the Spirit of God uh, that is already on Saul starts to distress him. All right? Because his uh, spirit and his, you know, his motives are not aligned with God's will, right? So this, the spirit of God on Saul, it becomes, you know, no longer comforting. It becomes a burden, all right? And essentially, Saul says, uh, I need somebody to play some music, right? Because hopefully this will stop this distress. And uh, he calls David, who's famous as a... uh, a harp player, a lyre player, uh, and a singer to come and play music. And uh, when he does this, whenever David plays, the spirit of God stops distressing Saul. All right. So David is able to <clears throat> calm Saul, and by doing this, he gets a spot in the court of Saul. All right. He becomes Saul's shield bearer. All right. So let's pick up reading the story again. Remember, David is now Saul's shield bearer. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting at verse 1. Pick up where we left off in the loop. Now the Philistines gathered together their armies to battle, and were gathered together at Re- Shekha. Shekha. Which Shekha. Which is Judah, and pitched between Shekha and Ezekiah and Good job. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Emma and set the battle in array against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, and there was a valley between them. And there went out a champion of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath. Yeah, he's fighting six kilos. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head. And he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like being used by weavers. The head of his spear was made from 15 pounds of iron. The man who carried the shield walked ahead of him. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to say your battle in array? Am, am not I a mm-hmm. and, you, and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then ye shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. All right. So, let's put this in perspective. We got a hill over here and a valley and a hill. All right. And Israel's over here with Saul. And the Philistines are over here. And they're just kind of staring at each other, getting ready to fight. And 
this behemoth of a man comes out. All right, anybody know how long, uh, tall six cubits in a span is? A cubit is this, right? Yep. It's about 10 feet, nine and a half. 9.5 and 7 sixteenths. Wow. I don't know. <laughs> Just. Uh, okay, so yours actually gives weight, Gideon, as well. How heavy is his uh, coat of armor? Just his, his mail. 125 pounds. Yeah. You know how heavy that is? <laughs> like, that's, that's more than most people can comfortably lift. All right. All right, so he's wearing an Eli on his chest. <clears throat> and uh, how heavy is just the tip of his spear? 15 pounds. So the way I imagine this is like a, a pointy cast iron pan on the end of a stick. Oh. Like that, That's how big this thing is. All right, so this is a, a brute of a man, all right? So David hears this challenge. You know, Goliath comes out and he says, send one man, if you beat him, or if you beat me, we'll be your slaves. And if I beat that one man, you can be our slaves. All right, which under normal circumstances would seem kind of fair, but nothing about Goliath is fair. All right, <clears throat> so David hears this. And what does he do? Let's pick up reading 1 Samuel 17, chapter 17, verse 32. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and he took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after them, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. My servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the hand of this and the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with you. All right. <clears throat> so David hears that and says, I'll do it. I guess. <laughs> yes. Okay. And we all know what happens next. David goes to a brook and he gets five smooth stones, puts them in his bag. All right. He's going to use them in his slingshot. He goes out to meet Goliath. And when he gets there, Goliath sees this kid. All right. He's probably about your age doing this, standing up to a 10 foot tall, crazy Philistine dude. All right. Goliath laughs. All right. Uh... Verse 44. And the Philistine said unto David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and thy hands to the beasts of the field. David told Philistine, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have insulted. This day will the Lord deliver thee into thine into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the car carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may may know that there is a God in Israel. 
And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saith, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he'll give you into our hands. Alright. <clears throat> and that's exactly what happens. David grabs a stone and slings it at Goliath. It hits him right between the eyes, and he falls on the ground, knocked out cold. You guys imagine what that sound of this man hitting the ground would sound like? I don't know. It, I always think of somebody dropping weights in a weight room. Like, it just shakes the entire building. I'm sure that's what it was like if you were standing anywhere near it. All right? David draws Goliath's own sword, and he cuts his head off. Hmm? With God's help, I'm sure. <laughs> All right? <laughs> With God's help, I'm sure. Cuts his own head, uh, head off, and he shows it to the Philistines, and they scatter. All right? They run away, because I'm not messing with this David dude. All right? The champion is dead, and they, the, uh, essentially the Israelites follow him and chase him down. Okay? After this victory, Saul kind of becomes jealous of David. All right? Remember, Saul is still king, even though David has been anointed. Uh, because the people are super proud of David. He's a hero. They're ch chanting his name in the streets, right? And Saul ends up trying to kill David, okay? Trying to kill him out of jealousy. And David flees into the wilderness to escape from Saul. While David is on the run, there's a lot of things that happen, but Saul ends up getting killed in battle. He actually falls on his own sword, fighting with none other than the Philistines. Uh, which allows David to come out of hiding. David comes out of hiding in a place called Hebron. And this is where he actually officially becomes king of Israel. So we're going to jump all the way to 2 Samuel chapter 5. Second Samuel chapter five, and we're going to read verses one through three. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David unto Hebron, and spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh. Also the time passed when Saul was king over us. Thou wast thou wast he that leddest out and broughtest into Israel. And the Lord said to thee, Thou shalt free my people. And thou shalt be captain of Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, and King David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. All right. So one of the first things that David does now that he's king over Israel, you know, all the all the leaders of each tribe get together and they make a pact. Mine says covenant, which is essentially a promise. They all agree, okay, David's going to be the king. One of the first things he does is he takes over uh, a place that has been controlled by the Jebusites. Any guesses on where? Reading ahead, maybe? Ah, okay. Uh, let's read verse 6 through 8. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem unto the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, which spake unto David, saying, Except thou take away the blind and the lame, thou shalt not come in hither, thinking David cannot come in hither. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Simon, the same as the city of David. And David sat on that day, whosoever getteth up to the gutter, and smiteth the Jebusites, and the lame, the blind, that are hated of David's soul. 
He shall be chief and captain. Wherefore they said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. All right. So how does David feel about blind and lame people? Does he? It's a trick question. It does kind of say that, doesn't it? It's a difficult passage. All right, pretty easy to misinterpret. So were you ever a kid on a playground and you, you said something to like a friend like, I don't know, you throw that ball like a wimp. And your friend go, goes back and like, no, you're a wimp. Like essentially you're taunting each other, just kind of you know, talking smack, for lack of a better term. That's kind of what's going on here. All right, we got some smack recorded in the Bible. <clears throat> all right, the Jebusites are like, our walls are so tall all right, our city is so fortified that we don't actually need to defend our city. A lame and a blind man could defend it, and you wouldn't even get here. All right, and uh, David says to the Jebusites, "All right, you lame and blind people, watch me take your city." Okay, so it's not actually that David has anything against lame and blind people. It's just saying, throwing their their uh, taunt right back at him. All right. And really, the Jebusites weren't wrong to think that their city was hard to take. Okay? Jerusalem at this time uh, is on a hill. So we'll kind of draw it like this. All right? And it's surrounded by valleys. Okay? And then there's walls up here that go all the way around the city. So it's pretty easy to defend. They could just stay on the wall and you could have your armies down here. And they can just pick you off and wait out. Uh, but it does have one weakness. All right. <clears throat> its water source was in like a, a spring here, kind of in a cave. All right. And they've got this channel that goes from inside the wall to this pool of water. All right so that they can drink even if they're under siege, okay? <clears throat> so you know how I talked about the gutter? That's what this is. David has his men climb up this channel of water and let them in, all right? And they take the city in one day. <clears throat> all right? So, finish up this section, 2 Samuel chapter 5, just verse 9 and 10. So David dwelt in the fort and called it, called it the name City of David. And David built round about from Milo in the David went on. He grew great. Four hosts was weak. All right. So that's kind of an early synopsis of, or a synopsis of David's early years, right? Uh, he goes on and he ends up reigning Israel, or ruling over it for 40 years. Uh, where he first became king, that was Hebron. He ruled there for seven and a half years. And then, uh, you know, during that time, he took the city, built it up, built a palace here. And then he ended up ruling in Jerusalem for 33 years. All right. So David is a pretty clear shadow of Christ. All right. It's easy to say, okay, David, king of Israel, Jesus, you know, king of kings. That's a pretty clear easy thing to say. All right, so we should be able to learn something about Jesus by looking at David and what he did. Uh, I know there's a lot more stories about David, but let's kind of focus on the couple that we looked at today. 
uh, we've been looking, and we've been looking at pictures of Christ for a while now, so I'm going to kind of ask you guys to help me draw the parallels. All right? So uh, what are some ways that David is a picture of Christ? Think about the things we talked about. Think about what we know about Christ, what we know about Jesus, and tell me what to write. Well, we started out as a sheep farmer, essentially. That's pretty low, and then another king. Okay, I like that one. Not even on my list, but I'll take it. Um, so we'll do shepherd to king. Carpenter to King. What's a little different, I'd say, is that Jesus actually didn't start a carpenter, right? He started as the creator. He chose to be made low so that he could, so that we could be adopted into his family, so that we could become near kinsmen. All right, but good enough to be on the list. Next, we'll put King of Israel and King of Kings on here. That's an easy one. kind of talked about three events, right? We talked about when David was what? Anointed, okay. And then we talked about David and Goliath. And then we talked about him becoming king and taking over Jerusalem. <clears throat> All right, those are kind of the three things that we're looking at. Maybe pick one to think about. Think about how, what can we learn about Jesus? What do we know about Jesus that is like that? Was Jesus anointed? So I asked earlier, what does anointed mean? Yes, it does mean that uh, you have oil put on your head. All right. But essentially, spiritually, it's God saying, God says, I've got a job for you. Picking you out, singling you out. You've got a job to do. I pick you. That's what God says when he anoints you. Okay? What was... What was David's job? Essentially. Essentially. 
Yeah, so in if we look at Second Samuel chapter five verse two, uh, or yeah, is that the one I'm looking at? Uh, essentially, it says that you know, even in the past, David was a shepherd and a ruler over Israel, even though Saul was the actual king. All right, so that's what I'm going to say. David's job was to be a shepherd and a ruler. Okay, put anointed here. Now draw the parallel. Absolutely. All right. But also, we want to capture this thing. All right. He was sent by God. All right. He was told, you have a job to do. You're going to be a shepherd and a ruler. All right. So sent by God, just like a human would be anointed. Let's prove it. Turn to 1 John 414. 1 John chapter 4. Verse 14. Whoever is there first can just read it. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be a Savior of the world. All right. It says right there, the Father sent the Son. Okay? So, God said, God the Father said to God the Son, I've got a job for you. All right? You're going to be a shepherd and a ruler. How is God, uh, Jesus, a shepherd to us? Absolutely. All right? And he also feeds us. He provides for our every need. All right? Um, this is a little tough one, but I think it's kind of cool to think about. Um, even though Saul was anointed, David was the actual king in God's eyes. What's the parallel here? Um, there is a multi-layered parallel here, yes. So while Jesus was on earth, was he a king? Yes. Absolutely. Did he actually rule in the human sense? No. All right. Kind of cool to think about. Um, however, David was eventually given the kingship. All right? Let's see what will happen in the future. Turn to Revelation 11.15. We're just going to touch in Revelation is all. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. 
And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. All right, so there is a day coming when Jesus shall rule as a literal king. All right, it's kind of exciting. All right, the kingdoms of earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord. Are we getting our mind in the right sense now? There's a couple more parallels we want to draw here. Somebody thinking, wheels turning. All right, we're running out of time, so we'll speed it up a little bit. Um, so I want to call out that David was alone when he went to fight Goliath. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jesus alone. And what do we learn from that? Much like David won victory for the entire country of Israel by uh, you know one victory, one victory for all, Jesus, one man, his whole victory can be shared by all of us, all right? victory for all. All of our sins are forgiven because Jesus paid for them all on the cross. All right, one more. Eh, Yeah, we'll do one more. Let's talk about David laying siege to Jerusalem. What is this like? What part of Jesus can you see in this story? Any guesses? Alright, so just like uh, David found that channel, alright, Jesus looks for any opening in the walls of our heart. All right, he's always on the outside, just waiting, waiting us for us to open up a little bit. All right, ready to take any opportunity for us to draw closer to him. All right, and if you invite him in, if you open up the doors, he'll come in, and he'll take up residence, and he'll live there a lot more than 33 years, like David did. Okay, so just like David reigned in Jerusalem after he captured it, we want to open the doors of our heart and let Jesus come in. And rain. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you.